Hey there, I hope you're doing well today. Uh, good to be able to join you. Happy Palm Sunday to you. And so I hope you're doing well in your living room, coffee shop, wherever you happen to be watching this. Uh, we're just so thankful we can keep coming to you this way, right? That we can gather virtually. Uh, we've been in this conversation, and I kind of want to take it another step forward today. We've been taking a conversation called The Way of Change. And uh, we've been talking about change for the last several days, 90 days uh, in this conversation. We said some of us don't like change, just don't like any change, right? Uh, I would say most of us don't like change that's been imposed on us, particularly change that is uncomfortable. And all of us are experiencing that now, right? Uh, this is a change none of us would have chosen. It has created some discomfort. And I would suggest this, that the way we navigate this change is something that will change us. And so that's why we've been talking about it. For the Christ follower, we said this, is that change is not about decorating the outside of my life. We've been using a tree kind of as an example. But change, or the way of change, Jesus said, is more about cultivating a relationship, kind of like the branch to the vine, in a way that it grows fruit. Today, I kind of want to look and lean into a guy named Paul because he kind of helps us think about the way of change differently. And he kind of uses some different analogy, I think, that might help us understand the way of change. Maybe the way to set it up would be this. Maybe the way to set it up would be for me to ask you a question. And the question would be this. Have you ever won a trophy? Or, or maybe have you ever won some trophies? I can remember in the fourth grade, is the very first trophy I remember winning. Uh, I played on a flag football team, and uh, on this flag football team, we went undefeated. We were undefeated. I was the quarterback, if you can imagine, right? And we had a great season. It was so much fun, and I remember undefeated. And at the end of the year, undefeated, we were the champions, and they gave us a trophy. And I, it was the first one I'd ever received, and I remember I just treasured that trophy. I treasured it, man. I set it up where everybody could see it. Anybody who asked me about it, I showed them my trophy. I remember my whole fourth grade year, that trophy was my treasure. Even into my fifth grade year, that trophy was my treasure. And I can remember young how much I loved being able to display that trophy. It was interesting as I got older and older, that trophy that was a treasure, all of a sudden it took a backseat. It became something that showed up in the back of my dresser, then it ended up in a box. Until recently, just recently, I'm 53 now, so I was in the fourth grade then, I was cleaning out some boxes in my basement. And guess what I found? <laughs> I found the trophy that I once treasured. And guess what I did with the trophy that I once treasured? It was taking up space that I didn't want it to take up. And the trophy that I once treasured and displayed for everybody to see, I threw in the garbage. The trophy I treasured now became a piece of trash. It's amazing how things change, right? Because that trophy that was my treasure, I trash. Now imagine if I had done that with my wife. <laughs> imagine I said to my wife, you're taking up space and I need to make some room. And so I got to throw you in the trash, right? Like that sounds crazy because what I treasure now is the relationship I have with my wife and my family. I think that helps me understand some of what Paul's going to say here. If you go to the book of Philippians, if you have a Bible, you might want to open it and go there on your, your phone. But the book of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says something interesting. He says this, I myself have reasons for confidence. 
If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh or to brag about their trophies, he said, I have more. What Paul's trying to tell us is this. When it comes to religion and spirituality and Christianity and all that kind of stuff, he said, my trophy case has more trophies than yours does. He said, I circumcised on the eighth day. That seems kind of weird to us, right? But he said, that's a trophy. To them, that would have been a trophy. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, like I'm, I'm, I'm a real Israelite, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I think what he's saying there is I'm born of Hebrew-speaking parents. I'm a Hebrew-speaking Jew. I think that's what he's saying. In regards to the law of Pharisee, I kept all the rules. As for zeal, persecuting the church. He's like, I was so zealous that I even persecuted anything that got in the way of what a good Jew would think it meant to be zealous. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. What he's saying is, I did everything exactly right. What Paul is trying to tell us is this. When it comes to having trophies, he's like, my trophy case trumps your trophy case. A lot of these things don't make sense to us, but it'd be, it'd be like somebody saying in, in our day and age, it'd be somebody saying this, hey, you think you're a good Christian? I'm way better. It'd be like somebody saying, I've grown up in the church, and for 42 years, the last 42 years, I've never missed a Sunday. My family's grown up in the church. I have the whole book of Deuteronomy memorized, right? It'd be like somebody saying, I've never cursed, I've never smoked, I've never chewed. It'd be like somebody saying, you know, I'm related to Billy Graham. I'm the most generous man in the world, those kind of things. That's what Paul is saying. And yet look at what he says next. Paul says, whatever were gains to me, all of those trophies, it, it, that literally is an accounting word. He said, whatever was in my assets column, I now consider them a loss in the liability column for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything, not just that stuff, but anything you can imagine, a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Paul is simply saying this, He's saying, you and I can be really decorated Christians, and we can miss the whole point. Like, like, we can be infatuated with our Christian trophies and miss the treasure, and the treasure is knowing Jesus. Beyond that, he goes on to say this. He says, I consider them garbage. Like, they're garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Stay with me on this. He uses a Greek word here that might be interesting. He said, I consider all of my religious trophies garbage, skubulon. You can say that to whoever's sitting with you, skubulon. It means garbage. It actually means more than that. It actually means, you ready? It means excrement. It literally would have been a visual that everybody he's talking to would have understood. In the crowded cities, there was every city would have had this thing called the dung gate. And literally in these ditches that went through the dung gate was all the trash and the urine and the excrement. And he was saying this, that all those things that I used to be so about, he said they literally are in this ditch of garbage, scubulon, compared to knowing Christ which leads him to say this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, 
becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Wow, powerful. He says, all of it is garbage compared to knowing Christ. And then he says to know the power of his resurrection. We're going to talk about that next week. That's Easter, right? We're going to talk about that next week. But before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a what? A death. I think the point for today is this. The point for today is participating with Jesus in his sufferings, which is what Paul says, is the way of change. Participating, go ahead and write it down, participating with Jesus in his sufferings is the way of change. Now, guys, that's fascinating, right? That's fascinating. That doesn't sound like great news because pain and suffering are what you and I avoid at all costs, right? Particularly in our culture. And what Paul is saying is this, is that if I want to know Christ, if I want to abide in Christ, if I want to remain in Christ, if I want to practice the presence of Christ, somehow it comes through the experience of suffering, participating with him in his sufferings. The way of change for a follower of Jesus involves the way of suffering. It's the only way for me to know Christ. It's the only way for me to become like Christ. It's the only way for me to partner with Christ. He's saying, Dan, help me understand that. Well, here's what I mean. I think there's three things. You ought to write these down. What does that mean, that participating in his sufferings is the way of change? Here's the first thing it means. I think it means this. I can only know Christ because he suffered in my place. This is where it begins. I can only, I got to participate with him in his sufferings because the only way for me to have a relationship with Jesus is to put the full weight of my trust and faith in what he did for me and my sin. Today, we are gathered virtually on Palm Sunday. We literally are on the edge of one of the most grueling weeks in the life of Jesus. We're on the edge of what is called Holy Week. We're staring Good Friday in the face. And on Good Friday, that's when we celebrate and remember Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. One of his own denied they even knew him, and the rest of them deserted him. He was illegally tried, falsely accused. He was mistreated, abused, humiliated, mocked. And then they, they literally whipped him, placed a crown of thorns on him, and then they had him carry his cross to a hill where they laid him across a Roman cross and they crucified him. That's what we remember at Good Friday. At Good Friday, we remember that and we begin to think, what's so good about that? And let me tell you this, lean in, that will never be good to you. That story will never be good to you until you see that that story is all about God suffering in your place, that Jesus is literally God with skin on. And when they crucified, killed Jesus, that was God saying, I'll take your place for what you deserve. The book of Isaiah, it says it like this, he was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain. Surely he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. Why? 
for our transgressions. That's just the word for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. He was crushed for all the things we've done wrong, our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I like the way Hebrews 2 says it. It says, but we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he, there's our word, suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Listen, I want you to hear me say this. I will never know Jesus personally, experientially, until I embrace this truth for myself. That when Jesus died, he died in my place for my sin. And at that moment, there was a great exchange made possible for you and I. Here's my question. Have you ever said yes to his invitation? That when he died, he literally was extending his hand saying, you give me your sin, your iniquity. That's what I'm dying for. And if you'll say yes to me and give me your sin and your iniquity, I'll give you my righteousness. The only way for you to know Jesus is to somehow participate in his sufferings by saying, yes, I believe you suffered in my place for my sin. Have you ever done that? It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. In fact, I want to take a minute right there in your living room. Can we just pray? Can we just pray? Will you pray with me? And Father, I just want to pray for those that are watching this coffee shop, maybe in their living room, for those who maybe have never said yes to Jesus. And, and if you're somebody who's never said yes to Jesus, you can talk to him right now and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you love me. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me in my place for my sin. And today I'm saying, yes, I believe you are the only one who can save me. And I want to say yes to you as my savior and leader for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you had that conversation with God, I'd love to hear from you somehow. I'd love for you to email me, dgregory at graceohio.org. And I just simply want to say this, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family of God. The only way for me to know Christ is to believe, embrace, recognize that he suffered in my place. Now, here's where a lot of people get confused and disenfranchised because they think, maybe you're one, that when you become a Christ follower, everything goes great. That, that all of a sudden my life is smooth and my life is easy. And yet Jesus was really upfront about this. He said that suffering and pain is kind of an equal opportunity kind of thing, right? Here's what he said in John 16. He said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have, say it out loud there in your living room, trouble. We say amen to that, right? We're experiencing some of that now, right? But take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. Here's the point. As a Christ follower, I want to know Jesus, but we've been saying for me to know him, for me to abide in him, remain in him, I gotta do what he did. I gotta adopt some of the patterns he adopted, develop some of the practices that he developed. I gotta somehow follow his path. And the same is true when it comes to the experience of sufferings. 
I follow somebody who was familiar with sufferings. And if I want to become like him, why would I think it would come apart from the experience of sufferings? Look at what Paul said. I want to know Christ, power of his resurrection. I want to talk to you about that Easter Sunday. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Here's the deal. I would write it down this way. I can only become like Christ by experiencing my suffering, and I'm going to have suffering. You're going to have suffering. We're going to have trouble. Jesus let us in on that with him. Like I never do it alone. I do it with him. Suffering is something I don't do alone. He's with me. But suffering produces something in me. Now stay with me on this. Some of you are going through a hard time right now. Some of you are suffering right now. Suffering produces something in me. And here's the deal. Before suffering can produce something in me, many times it has to kill something in me. Saying, Dan, help me understand that. I'd be happy to. Before it can produce humility in me, it has to kill the pride in me. Before it can produce selflessness in me, it's got to kill the selfishness in me. Before it can produce love in me, many times it's got to produce the hate in me. Before it can produce joy, many times it has to kill the discontent in me. Jesus' half-brother James said this, consider it pure joy. Another accounting term. So like, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face, and you will, not if, face trials, suffering of many kinds. Yours is different than mine, various kinds. Why? Because you know. You know what? You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces something. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That mature and complete, you know what that means? Those two words put together simply describe a life that produces the fruit of Jesus. I love the way Billy Graham says, says it. This is a quote from Billy Graham. He says, mountaintops are for views and inspirations. We love that, right? But fruit is grown in the valleys, right? My suffering can produce in me fruit, the fruit of Jesus. And I remember this. This is how it happens. I remember that when I'm in suffering, when I'm facing trials, when I'm facing trouble, I never do it alone. I practice the presence of Jesus, that he's with me in my suffering. He's with you right now. Just take a minute and recognize that. He's with you right now. Some of you are going through a deep, deep time of trouble and suffering, and he's with you. And when I remember that even in my suffering, I can practice his presence, it produces something in me. John Ortberg says this, if you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, many times they say it's because of suffering. But on the flip side, if you ask people who do believe in God when they grew spiritually, they will likely say suffering. You see, the times of suffering, if I practice the presence of Jesus, can produce something in me. Well, how does that happen? Let me give you two, two suggestions. How, how in the world do I practice his presence in the middle of my suffering 
The first thing I would say is this. I practice his presence by running into him, not away from him when I suffer. You want to practice the presence of Jesus in the middle of suffering. If you want to participate with him, I run into him. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who ascended into heaven, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest, Jesus, who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He understands. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Literally, he's inviting us, right? He's inviting us in our time of need. Why? Because we run to a God who understands. We run to it. That's amazing. He suffered like us. And so he's inviting us to suffer with him, to find grace and mercy in our time of need. I remember, remember one time uh, my oldest, Joel, uh, I'd take him to the bus every day when he was, I think, in kindergarten or first grade. Every day I'd take him to the bus, and he was really quiet back then, extremely quiet. And I can remember as the year went on, I, I always felt like something was wrong. We got to the end of the year, and I remember at the end of the year, he told me that all year long, he had some fourth graders at recess that were bullying him. I had no idea the entire year. I could tell something was wrong. I had no idea. I said, Joe, why didn't you tell me? I remember his answer. He said, one, he didn't want anybody to get in trouble. (laughs) But I think his answer was also this. He's like, Dad, I wasn't sure that you had ever experienced that. I got to share with my son that I had experienced being bullied. I understood what it was like to be picked on by some other kids. It was incredible the opportunity we had to talk because there was this understanding that took place. God, literally in Jesus, says, I understand what you're facing and feeling this moment. You're not alone. You can run into my presence in the middle of what you're suffering. Mother Teresa said something interesting. I think she has a nursing quote, pain and suffering have come into your life. But remember, pain, sorrow, suffering are but the kiss of Jesus, a sign that you've come so close to him that he can kiss you. We have a leader who suffered, and truly we can run into his presence, but that's not all. In 1 Peter, it says this, to this you were called. To what? This whole idea of suffering. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, No deceit was found in his mouth. Isn't it true that sometimes when we suffer, we can make it an excuse to just go off the rails, right? It says that Jesus left us an example. When they heard the insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What's the point? I think the point is this that I become like Christ because I'm going to follow his example in my suffering. I don't just run to a God who suffered for me and suffers with me, but I run to one who suffers and I can literally follow his example. I can watch how he endured it. 
I can watch as he walked through suffering and realize that he didn't use it as an excuse. But instead, here's the key, he entrusted himself to a God who judges justly. Some of you are suffering because you're suffering from unjustness. Jesus understands, and you know what the secret was? He entrusted himself to a God who judges justly. Some of you are suffering, and it makes no sense to you. And you know what the secret is? You entrust yourself to a God who sees what you don't see. Some of you are suffering in the middle of this situation we're in now. You know what the secret is for us? To entrust ourselves to a God who knows what we don't know, who sees what we don't see, and who can do what we can't do. And we practice his presence. And we follow the example of Jesus. Here's the deal. I can only know Christ because he suffered in my place. I'll only become like Christ by experiencing suffering with him. But there's one last thing, and then we're done. One last thing. I can only partner with Jesus by running into other people's suffering alongside of him. Here's the point. When Jesus left this earth, he ascended into heaven. He said, I'm going to keep building my church. And you know how I'm going to do that? I'm going to do it through my body, through those who are followers of Jesus. That followers of Jesus, the Bible says that we are literally the body of Christ. We are the physical demonstration of the body of Christ. That practicing the presence of Jesus is not simply an individual experience. It's a corporate experience. We are all part of one body. If you've said yes to Jesus, wherever you're watching this, if you've said yes to Jesus... Jesus is the head of this body, and we are all part of it. So it's literally a figure, an image that he gives us. And we're all essential parts of the body. And so what does that mean, the fact that we're part of the body of Jesus? Well, I think in 1 Corinthians 12, it says this. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. That's interesting, isn't it? Here's what it tells me. It tells me that we suffer with those who suffer in the body. You already know this because if you've ever hit your thumb with a hammer, you ever do that? Ever hit your thumb with a hammer? I don't know about you. Maybe you're way better than me. But when I hit my thumb with a a hammer, the rest of my body doesn't look and say, well, I hope the thumb thumb gets past that. I'm going to go on doing what I'm doing. (laughs) When I hit my thumb with a hammer, I do a dance, man, because my whole body surrounds the pain I feel in my thumb. I do a dance. I say interesting things. I do interesting things. Why? I'm hurting. Every part of my body surrounds the fact that that part of my body is in pain. I think that's all he's saying. So we're part of a body. Here's the point. When one part hurts... We all surround it. There are parts of our body that hurt, and we surround it. You know, if there's one interesting, unusual, maybe benefit to this discomfort we're all feeling is that we're all paying attention a little more. We're connecting creatively a little more. And we're finding out there's parts of the body that hurt. And, and, you know, I'm going to just tell you this as one of your pastors. When, when there's a part of the body that hurts, the pastors can't be the ones to run to it all the time. You know what happens? The body runs to it, and you're doing that. 
You're saying, what do I do? What do I do when somebody's hurting and struggling? I pay attention. I show up. I make a phone call. I don't have to have all the pat answers, right? Sometimes I just got to be present. I comfort them with the comfort that maybe I've received. Some of you have been through suffering. Some of you have lost a loved one and you show up to somebody who has lost a loved one and you comfort them with the comfort that you received when you were in your suffering. You see, here's the point. If I want to partner with Jesus, I suffer with those who suffer. When somebody in the body suffers, we all suffer. But I think it goes beyond that. I can only partner with Jesus by running into other people suffering alongside of him. How does that happen? I think it happens we run into the suffering that's present in the world. Not only do we suffer with those who suffer in the body, but there's a whole world. And right now, our world's suffering, right? And I think what it means is this, is that we follow Jesus' lead, right? We are the physical demonstration. This is when the church shows up. This isn't when the church demands its way and its rights. This is when the church unleashes into people's suffering. That's what we do. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. You read the story of Jesus. He never ignored people's needs and people's hurts, but he ran into them, not away from their messiness, and he always met it with kindness and mercy. He met their spiritual need for sure, but he never ignored their physical need. In fact, I think a good question to ask is, if Jesus was here in the middle of coronavirus, what would Jesus do? And whatever our answer is to that, whatever we see Jesus, when you read the gospels, like what would that Jesus do in the middle of coronavirus? I think that's what the church does. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. And there's people right now, maybe your neighbors, who are afraid. There are others who maybe are struggling. Their physical needs aren't being met. And you know what we do as the body of Christ? We do exactly what Jesus would do. We practice his presence. We partner with him. And we run into, not away from, the messiness, the hurt, and the suffering in a way that brings hope, in a way that brings help. I'd love to pray with you. Father, so grateful that Jesus suffered for us and that we can have a relationship with you as a result of the fact that he took our place on the cross. And I pray some of my friends today said yes to Jesus, and I'm so grateful for that. God, some of us are in the middle of our own suffering, and I pray that you'd help us to see what it is that you're producing, that we would run into Jesus, not away from Jesus, and that we would look to Jesus as our example. God, there's some in our body that are suffering. I pray that you would help the body to surround the suffering that's taking place in their life. But you certainly have placed your body in the middle of a world that is suffering. So God, I pray that you'd help our eyes to be very open, our, our posture to be alert, not to demand our way, not to demand our rights, but to run into their needs with hope and help. So God, thank you for giving us the hope and the help that comes from Jesus. And I pray that we would then distribute that in our world. I love you. I thank you for loving me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.